The Money Show. The Africa Business Report. Thank you, Brendan Seary. The Africa Business Report is brought to you by SAA, now chaired by Derek Hanukkah, the ones who fly SAA's growing route network. Now flying to Blantyre, Lilongwe, Vic Falls, and to Ventook on the line to us from the UK this evening. Ronak Kapoldis, the Director and Africa Analyst at Signal Risk this evening. Uh, Ronak, good evening to you. Sudan and unrest and CIA interventions, if you believe military generals. What on earth is going on again in Sudan? Hi, Bruce. Uh, good to be with you. Um, so this is a country that's no stranger to instability. Um, and again, this weekend, we had fight and breakout um, in the country. It's a country that's meant to be transitioning to a civilian democracy. But um, we had clashes between the army and the uh, rapid support forces, which is a paramilitary group. Almost 100 civilians have been killed on Monday and 1,000 wounded and the fighting still ongoing. And we know that this is a country that's been struggling since the 2019 coup, which ousted Omar al-Bashir. Um, we had a transition civilian government for a while, and then there was another coup in 2021, uh, and now this has happened. And the reason is effectively uh, a power struggle um, between uh, Abdel Fattah al-Buran, who's the, the country's army chief, and uh, Mohamed Dagalo on the other side, who's the head of the RSF. And both of these guys have a personal rivalry. They used to be allies, and they're contesting around who will control the armed forces and then likely the presidency. And it's, it's been catalyzed, this outbreak of violence has been catalyzed by tensions over the integration of the RSF to the military uh, and a dispute over timelines, but it goes a little bit deeper than that and, and really driven by the, the personalities. So the question then is what happens now? And the situation is really bleak and it's hard to see a speedy resolution. Both these men seem to be moving more towards printmanship than negotiation. Um, effectively, the trans- transitional agreement um, is dead now. And without that political capital, um, it's likely that both, both sides are going to double down on violence. Uh, so it means that that's going to take a while before they head to the negotiation table. Um, and this is in a context where the economic situation is already dire, sky-high inflation, rising cost of living. So another real setback for a country that that's kind of just continues to move from one crisis to the next. Yeah, and unfortunately it has been for a century and more. Senegal, um, political trajectory in Senegal, are investors beginning to get jittery? Uh, the short answer is yes. Um, tensions have been building ahead of the election next year and the political temperature is rising. Uh, the government is quite unpopular. We started to see a lot of authoritarian creep from President Macky Sall, um, who's stifling the opposition. There's a third-term controversy and uh, lots of protest action around political and economic grievances. And the latest issue relates to the opposition leader, Usman Sonko, who had uh, a defamation case where he received the two-month uh, prison sentence that was suspended and a fine. Um, importantly, this doesn't qualify him from competing in the elections next year yet. But this, is, this case is important for two reasons. Because, number one, it points to this kind of allegation of judicial manipulation that the president is using to disqualify uh, political opponents. And he's done this in the past with uh, Karim Wad uh, and uh, Khalifa Sal. Uh, his former political opponents who were barred from running in 2019. And then that leads into the next issue, which is Macky Sall's third term. And, you know, there's constitutional confusion around whether he's eligible. 
He's been in power since 2012. Tunisia and Senegal changed its constitution in, in 2016. He hasn't declared whether he will run or not, but they're likely to be a spate of protests around if he does announce that. Um, and we could see a big backlash. Now, this is a country that in the past has been quite a stable country in West Africa. It's had no coups uh, since independence. Uh, it's been pretty strong democratically, but tensions are definitely on the rise at the moment. Yeah, so concerning uh, in Senegal, as you say, it's been this wonderful sort of um, example of peace and, and relative stability. President Ruto in Kenya, how's he settling in? Yeah, so I mean, I said when he when he won the election that there would be no honeymoon for for President Ruto, and that's been the case. Um, at the end of last month, there had three rounds of protests, which which ended up turning violence. Again, more protest action, and that brought significant parts of Nairobi to a standstill. And, you know, if we explore what these protests are rooted in, um, the first one is this kind of political stalemate over the election results last year. As usual, Raila Odinga has refused to acknowledge uh, Uta's presidency, despite the fact that the Supreme Court has upheld the ruling. And he's, he's called the administration illegitimate, so he's mobilizing his supporters. And then he's linked back to the cost of living. And he's saying that this government is, is reneging on its promises. It's emptying the pockets of the poor. Um, and in particular, he's attacked the, the Kenyan government's repeal of food and fuel subsidies. So obviously, very opportunistic, but it's finding resonance with Kenyans whose economic situation is grim. They've got a plunging currency, food and fuel uh, prices are on the rise, and a drought and currency shortages. So pretty bleak there, and that's kind of what's galvanized these protests. Um, Odinga, for his part, has said that he's not going to let up, and he's renewed calls for street protests. Ruto um, has promised accountability against economic terrorists, economic terrorists and said he will not put up with sabotage. Um, so it's a tense situation. Odinga is obviously trying to uh, garner a greater share of power and maintain relevance. Um, but the government, I don't see backing down. They'll continue with their security, their approach, maybe provide some economic concessions. But I don't think they're, they're going to yield to, to Odinga's demands unless the situation really gets out of control. But an interesting week ahead in, in Kenya. You were reading my mind on a thought you're having about the large number of summits in Africa, about Africa, about growth opportunities and prospects, and whether or not they work. And I, there's one happening in Cape Town at the moment. It's been going for the last three days. Apparently incredibly well attended, incredibly very thoughtful and lots of panel discussions. And one of the major outcomes from this panel of discussion is South Africa, um, Africa needs to do more on rail, needs to do more on ports, and we need to get shipping working better. And intra-Africa trade and all of the big and really audacious and noble ideas that would make this continent fabulously successful. Um, yet there's so much big picture thinking that I'm not too sure anybody actually pushes for the baby steps to be done at these things. Do, am I being unkind? I mean, I think that's the criticism, right? That the glorified PR exercises, it's just cosmetic stuff, pomp, pageantry, PR, and nothing tangible comes out of, of these things. And what we've seen, especially post-COVID, uh, on an international level, is that 
it seems like everybody and their dog is having an Africa summit. You know, we had forecast in 2021, uh, the Russia-Africa summit is coming up. Last year, we had the EU-Africa summit, the US-Africa leader summit, TICAD, which is the Japanese-Africa summit. Um, and, you know, it, it's rooted in this geopolitical competition that we're seeing, uh, the fact that both emerging and established powers are recognizing that Africa is just going to be too big to ignore. And so they're trying to build trust and credibility amidst this, what's been called the new Cold War. And, you know, they're focusing on their messaging, their optics and their credibility. So, you know, there is that criticism. I think the question needs to shift around how can Africa actually benefit? Um, and, you know, like you said, you've got to start with the, the baby steps. The other thing that you've got to really focus on is alignment. Um, and this is where I think African states need to negotiate as a collective to avoid being subject to divide-and-conquer strategies uh, as were employed during the Cold War. Um, that's obviously easier said than done, but I think, you know, at least on a diplomatic level, uh, summits can be used to attract investments, to diversify economies, and to diversify investment and development partners if done right. So I think an opportunity, but definitely understand the, the skepticism. Yeah, um, it's some program. I mean, look, I mean, there are lots. Of, there was. It's easy to pick holes, but there is a really good news story. I think coming out of Ethiopia, Ethiopia, of course, wrought by civil war and real concerns about its future two or three years ago. Now suddenly, the IMF is beginning to say, "Hold on a second, these guys are are, are serious about a recovery." Yeah, and uh, we saw that in the spring meetings in Washington last week. Uh, Ethiopia is really reaping the peace dividend, um, and you know they're, they're re-engaging quite aggressively with the IMF now. Uh, the IMF was in the country a couple of weeks ago as well. They're seeking a two billion dollar facilities for reform. Um, you know, currently the debt sustainability analysis is ongoing. Uh, and they really need it for solvency purposes and to address the, the, the funding uh, issues. So I, it's looking, you know, that they're, they're going to have the program probably by the third quarter um, of this year. And I think that then paves the, paves the way for them to sort out their debt issues to, to you know, catalyze positive um, animal spirits and, and to get investment flowing into that, that country again. Um, you know, there still are political issues uh, particularly in the Amhara region, as they try and integrate kind of the regional forces I- into a centralized um, military unit. Um, and so there are going to be these periodic clashes. But I think on the economic front, uh, some definite positive momentum to, to be enthused about. Ronak Gopoldis, thank you. Ronak is director at Signal Risk on the line to us from London this evening.